Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to FBH. My name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here, and we are excited uh, to be here with you. Uh, Just as a reminder, uh, in a couple of short weeks, October 4th, uh, we are going to begin meeting in person outside every single week. So uh, we really, really look forward to that time. But until then, uh, you can continue to catch us online. Even after then, you can continue to catch us online. Uh, And we are right now continuing in our series in the book of Galatians. Today we're going to be in Galatians chapter 4. And so if you have your Bible, uh, you can flip open to Galatians 4. You can tap open to Galatians 4 on your phone, uh, whatever it be, whatever it may be. But we'll be there in, uh, in just a second. Uh, Before we venture too deep into the passage for today, I want you to think for a second, maybe about a time uh, where there was a distinct rift between you and somebody else in your life, right? Maybe it was a friend, maybe it was a a family member, a co-worker, but it can't just be that there was was a disagreement, okay? I'm talking like there there was this seemingly a canyon between the two of you because of something that was said or done and, and you both kind of just like bowed up and said, you know what, uh, the issue is too insurmountable to overcome. So because of this, I'm going to be on one side of this issue and you are going to be on the other side of this issue. Maybe it's this election season uh, that we're coming to, that we're walking through right now, actually, that you have found yourself maybe angry at other people simply because of the ideas that they have or the perspective that they hold. Maybe it's a friend or a family member that you can't, even, you can't even stand to be around because you have your tribe and they have their tribe and anyone who thinks the same way that they think can't be a friend of mine. Like maybe that's what it is. But think of a time that there, is a very, there was a very specific rift between you and somebody else. Right? We're really good at establishing those canyons in our lives. All of us are. Things get blown out of proportion. Things get romanticized to the scale that we assume things are much worse than they actually are. You know, my best friend and I in high school, we actually had a a seemingly large rift like this. It was actually the summer before our, uh, our senior year. And he had told me that I shouldn't be dating the person that I was dating. And I said, no, I am going to date the person that I'm dating. And words were said, and he dug in, and I dug in. And because of that, we missed an opportunity, really a great opportunity for us to be able to enjoy our friendship for those three or so months that there was this massive rift between us. And actually, uh, he told me that hard truth. We were able to, to work past it, but only after uh, she dumped me anyway. So today, though, As we look at the book of Galatians, we are going to take a look at why Christianity is not just about having correct theology. You know, Christianity is about more than simply being right. If Christianity was only about being correct in our understanding of God, then there would be no need for us to be able to have that arm of evangelism that is so important to all of us because all Christians would do is simply bury their heads in their Bibles 24-7 and not worry about others. Christianity is about more than just having correct theology. This is why the crux of of being a follower of God is so difficult. Because it isn't just about doing the right thing. It's not just about correct theology. As a matter of fact, 
Christianity is about maintaining your theology while refusing to alienate anyone who disagrees with you. And so today we're going to look at Paul and the, and the church in Galatia, and there's a seeming rift between the two of them. There is a canyon that looks almost insurmountable between the two of them. So up until this point, Paul has done a great job in the last three and a half chapters to present the gospel to the church in Galatia. So the church in Galatia can stand on good theology, and as they teach other people, they are also teaching correct theology. That's what Paul's argument has been all the way since the beginning of the book of Galatia, is to stand on good theology. But what he does now is Paul is gently calling them back to remind them that he loves them and he hopes that they still love him as well. That he recognizes this very point right here, that Christianity is about maintaining your theology, which Paul does incredibly well, while also refusing to alienate anyone who disagrees with you. So Paul is doing his best now to make sure that the church in Galatia is not alienated from him. Because up until now, in the book of Galatians, Paul hasn't been super kind to those in the church, at least not seemingly. Right? He talks very harshly to them. He rebukes them very consistently. But their relationship had been strained for a number of reasons, Paul's and the church in Galatia. The first reason their relationship was strained was because of the influence of the Judaizers. If you're just hopping into this series for the first time, okay, we need to recognize that there was a separate group of teachers who came in after Paul had taught the Galatians the, their theology, the gospel theology, Jesus plus nothing. Okay? And then the group of people came in, named the Judaizers, who said, hey, it's Jesus plus you also have to follow the law. You also have to follow along with all of these external things. And so with the introduction and the influence of those Judaizers, that relationship gets strained because all of a sudden the Galatians aren't believing the things that Paul had said. So that's one of the reasons. The next reason their relationship is strained is because Paul was bold in rebuking the church. In chapter 1, right, chapter 1 began with Paul's disappointment in the change, at the change in the doctrine which had already occurred. So Paul was incredibly frustrated in the beginning of chapter 1, but this quickly changed it. Paul's just like, Paul is super severe about this whole thing, right? Paul condemns those who had taught such an error. Paul was harsh to the Galatian church, but he did make it clear that they were foolish even for believing such a thing. So Paul is super blunt about all of this. He's like, hey, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to be honest with you. You guys messed up. And so that's another reason the relationship was strained. The third reason the relationship is strained is because the Galatians were most likely taking this personally. This is a bit of an assumption on my part, so if you want to throw this out, feel free uh, to throw it out, but this is something that people have dealt with since the beginning of time, since Adam and Eve, right? When a correction needs to happen, we tend to take it as a personal attack on ourselves rather than simply talking through what it is that needs to change. And this division, the tension between Paul and the Galatians happened because one of them departed from the truth. It was either Paul or the Galatians departed from what was true, and so because of that, a division occurs. There is a disagreement regarding the correct theology. Paul knew correct theology, 
the Galatians had been taken advantage of by the Judaizers and had been steered really in the wrong direction. But we see here, what we're about to see here is Paul is now going to make sure that regardless of the Galatians departing from the truth, he still loves them and he still cares deeply for them. So we begin here in verse 12. It says this, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know it, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. So in the first few verses here, we have Paul reminding the Galatians about how they met almost reminiscing, kind of, recalling a simple time where they were both really on the same page, where there was no division. Verse 12, specifically, Paul pleads with them to become like Paul and not like, oh, I'm so holy, you need to be like me. Like, that's not what he's talking about here. There's lots of ways they could have emulated Paul. What he's talking about here specifically, he's talking about being a Gentile, Because as we know, Paul to Jews was a Jew, and to Gentiles, he was a Gentile. So Paul is saying, hey, look, be a Gentile. Be who you are. There is no, there's nothing else you have to do outside of believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and confess with your lips that Christ, or that God raised him from the dead. That's all you have to do. And so Paul is reminding them here, hey, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me before I became like you. You did me no wrong. Become like me. Be free from the law. Be who God created you to be. You're a Gentile who is saved by faith. So that's what Paul is talking about there in verse 12. It quickly moves, though, to verse 13 and 14 where he is recalling a very specific incident to the Galatians. He talks about how he first came. And not only how he first came, but how he was incredibly sick when he came, which is the only reason he was there in the first place. And it gets a little graphic. It gets a little gross. Actually, some of the translations have have different words here, but we don't, so we don't know what the actual illness was, but Paul says that his illness was a trial to them. Like that's how gross Paul's sickness was, that it was a a trial to them. They had never been, like, I I don't know about you, okay, but but I have never been disgusted to the point of having like contempt for the other person for being sick. Like that's what Paul is talking about here. Like this was such a trial to them, that, 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 that they had to have been pretty disgusted by whatever the affliction was in order for Paul to thank them for not having contempt for him because of his sickness. Like, I've never been there. I've never been to a point in my life where I was like, man, you are so sick that I am personally offended by your sickness. And I have five boys. Like, there are boogers constantly coming out of my children's face. And I have never gotten to the point where I held any of them in contempt because of the fact that they were so sickly and wanting to rub said snot on my shirt or anything like that. But I digress. Like I said, it get a little bit graphic there. So I don't know about any of you guys, but that's never been the case for me. And, and, and this is a big enough deal here. Paul's sickness was a big enough deal here for Paul to talk to them, to remind them about this seemingly simpler time. And he's doing this because he recognized that even if Paul's theology, even if Paul's doctrine 
is perfect, if he burns a bridge with these people, if he alienates these people, they will most likely turn their backs on anything he says altogether. So he needs to make sure that the relationship between him and the church in Galatia is still intact. See, Paul understands here, and this is important, that a deviation from the gospel involves more than just principles. It involves people. So anytime that, that there is a division, it's not just because you have to, because there is a truth that you have disagreed upon, which is, which is true. That's how division happens. We disagree on something in principle. But Paul recognizes when there's a deviation from doctrine, from his theology, from, from Christ's theology, yeah, that he recognizes it's more than just the principles that are at stake. It's the people who are involved as well. It's one of the reasons there's a, there's a famous quote that, that floats around ministry circles. And if you're in ministry, you laugh about it every once in a while that ministry would be easy if it weren't for the people. Right? Because then all we would have to do is deal with the principles. Is our theology correct? Yep, cool, let's keep moving. But we're called to something more than that. Okay? As we investigate the gospel, as we continue to move forward in our, in our faith, we need to recognize that as we present truth, it also involves people. It involves people. It's something we need to hold on to and understand because if we get consumed by our rightness, we will alienate an entire world who couldn't hear the truth through our yelling because we're right, because we hold on to truth, which is good. But if we present it in such a way that is bad, we are going to alienate those people. Let's see if I can illustrate this because when I went, so when I went to Fresno State, uh, there was always this guy, I think it was Thursdays, he would show up in the free speech area at Fresno State. So if anybody is taking an opportunity to go to the free speech area, most likely you needed to take enough time to not listen to that person, okay? Um, because this isn't how actual free speech tends to be able to be most effective. But this guy would come, he would have his Bible, uh, and then he would start yelling at students over and over and over again. Okay? And he would yell at them from the free speech. He's like, you're a sinner, we're fornicators, sinners are going to hell. Like he would just be going and going. He would love having shouting matches with people. It was like, it was just like a carnival for him. It was a good, it was a good time. But every time I walked by there, I got more and more frustrated. Not even necessarily because I disagreed with his theology, right? I agree, all men are sinful. I agree that fornication is a sin. Like I agree that if, if you are sinful and you are unrepentant in that sin, that you are indeed going to hell. I, for the most part, agreed with his uh, theology. But I would walk by this guy and I would think to myself that this guy is an embarrassment to the gospel, not because his theology is bad, but he, was a, he, was, he, he had forgotten that the entire reason for Jesus coming to earth was to mend man and God's relationship. He had forgotten that peace, or he was never taught that peace, and the people couldn't hear the good news through his yelling. And that becomes an issue. So now Paul is going to call a spade a spade. He's going to talk a little bit about what their relationship currently looks like. It starts in verse 15. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. This is, Paul is talking about like what their relationship looked like. When Paul first came, right, he's talking back to the affliction. You would have done anything for me. If I would have asked for your eye, you would have torn it out and handed it to me. That's how much you loved me. 
It's a very vivid word picture Paul is giving here. Verse 16, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? The warm and tender love which once kind of bound Paul and the Galatian church has completely dissipated. Right? Paul, Paul says that his feelings for the Galatians hadn't changed. That he had not taken offense to them. Then why is it that their relationship between Paul and the Galatians has been strained? Like what, was, what happened then that, that, that forced this relationship into strain? Paul actually points out the irony in the situation. Because when Paul had been plagued with his physical sickness, when Paul had been incredibly sick, the Galatians had ignored how repulsive he looked and taken him in warmly. Right? Even though it was a trial to them, as Paul describes it, they still take him in warmly. They had once felt blessed by Paul's presence. They were even willing to pluck out their eyes, but they had turned to flat-out rejection of Paul and his gospel. So why the change? Verse 16 is the change. And here is the irony. Paul had been warmly received because of the truth. Now he is being given the cold shoulder because of the truth. So Paul is presenting the same gospel. He's presenting the same thing, but he's having, getting two very different reactions from the church in Galatia. You know, Paul persisted in pursuing the Galatians with the truth. And while the Galatians kind of foolishly followed someone else who was, who was teaching them things contrary to the gospel, like Paul was like, no, I'm going to continue to pursue you. And while he continues to pursue them, he doesn't alienate them. He continues to do his best to keep this relationship in, intact while not backing down from the truth. And that's a very hard thing to do. It's a very hard thing to do. Being completely honest with someone, especially as you know you're hurting their feelings, is hard. It's incredibly difficult. It's not fun. Anytime you've had to have like a hard conversation with somebody, those conversations are hard because you need to present truth to that person but you also don't want to hurt that person's feelings. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. And we always, like when you're in the midst of those conversations, we always kind of have that temptation to just be okay with bending the truth. If I can just bend the truth just a little bit so I don't have to hurt anybody's feelings, that I want to do that. And that's the temptation there. But Paul is both pursuing the Galatians, making sure their relationship is on good, good standing, and at the same time, standing up for truth. Paul is holding those two things in tension, and it's a very, very incredibly difficult thing to do. So let's keep moving. Verse 17. Those people are zealous to win you over. He's talking about, he's talking about the Judaizers here. Those people are, are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. It keeps going in 19. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. So Paul's going to take a second here. And he's going to take a second, he's in 17 and 18, he's going to remind them that the people who are teaching them things contrary to the truth are not people they should seek attention from. They should not seek out their teaching. He says, look, those people, we know they're effective teachers. 
Okay, we know that people like the words that they say. We know that even the gospel that they are presenting may sound good, may sound correct. We know that those people are intelligent. We know they have zeal for what it is that they are doing. But that zeal is going to alienate you from the real gospel. You're going to find yourself all of a sudden without a home because you've been alienated from the real gospel. So be zealous. So be excited, but be zealous for things that have a good purpose, for things that God has ordained, not things that are going to alienate you from other people and more importantly, alienate you from the real gospel. But verse 19 is when Paul goes from talking about the Judaizers to reminding the church in Galatia how much he loves them. It starts out with, my dear children. This is actually the first time that Paul shows any real warmth to the church in Galatia. Okay, before this, he refers to them one other time as brothers and sisters. But beyond that, his tone has been very harsh as he does continue to defend uh, the gospel. So this time, he says, my dear children. This is an appeal to the Galatians, not as the monster theologian that Paul is. It's not an appeal to reason. It's an appeal to a broken heart. No, this is no longer an apostle uh, rebuking people. This is a, a broken-hearted mother pleading with her children to change their ways because she knows what is true and she wants what's best for her kids. And if you have kids, you understand that that you know what is true and you want what's best for them. My dear children, his tone completely and totally changes to a mother actually in, in labor, labor pains for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. A mother committed to the process of her baby being born healthy, of her baby being born happy and full of zeal for what is good. That's what Paul really is trying to evoke here. And then it goes straight to verse 20 where he says that he wishes that he could be with them so his tone could be gentle, so he could love them as he reteaches them the truth of the gospel. But he can only tell them in this letter how, how grief-stricken he is and how his heart hurts because, because he doesn't understand where it all went wrong. He doesn't understand, I am perplexed by you. He doesn't understand it. So I think there's a, a lot of things we could pull out of this passage, and not just this last piece that we just looked at, but all of it, 12 through 20. Here's a few of those things really quickly. Because Paul is, because of the fact that Paul is gentle, and, and he seeks to keep his relationship intact, the Galatians are more likely to repent. Okay, because of the way that he was able to communicate, because of, the, because of the fact that he's going back and making sure that the relationship that he has with the Galatian church is still intact, they are more likely to listen to the rebuke rather than simply turning your back. He didn't yell to get his point across. He was firm, but he didn't yell to get his point across. He reminded them of how deeply he cared for them in this passage to make sure that they heard the words that he's saying. It's kind of like, like parenting, Right? Um, if, if you want behavior to change immediately, you can kind of unleash that dad or mom kind of yell, guttural yell that, 
I mean, just evokes fear and panic in the hearts and minds of children everywhere, right? Like if I ever hear my middle name or anything like that, I still get a little bit nervous because I'm sure my mom is lurking. Um, but, but it's kind of like that. Like if you want behavior to change uh, immediately, you, kinda, you can kind of just unleash that yell. And that's behavioral change. That's behavioral modification, which is a good thing maybe in the moment. But most likely that isn't going to be what shapes a person for the, for the duration of their life. If you want a heart to change, you present the truth, sometimes uh, more firmly than others, but you, you present the truth and remind your kids that you are presenting that truth because you want what is best for their life. It isn't parenting based out of fear, it's parenting based out of love. And that's what Paul really is doing here with the church in Galatia. He's not looking for behavior modification. He's looking for heart change. And so he lays it out for them, making sure that their relationship is still intact and beyond that, continuing to present the truth, regardless of how it may hurt their feelings. So I think the other thing that we need to, to pull from this is that being gentle and gracious does not mean that we are soft on sin. I think it's a common, really a common misconception that just because you're kind about something doesn't mean that you're a pushover. And just because you yell loudly doesn't mean that you're correct all the time, right? I think that finding the common ground there of being truthful while extending grace really is the sweet spot in proclaiming the gospel of Christ. And that we're going to be gracious, we're going to be loving, but at the same time we are also going to present the truth and not apologize for that. Okay? And the reason we do that is because people won't listen to anything you have to say until they know that you care about them. You have to be gracious. You have to be loving. And at the same time, be able to present the, present the truth. And it's the very reason, like as I was a youth pastor, back before I was a, a senior pastor, I was a youth pastor, I spent so much time going to my students' schools. I spent so much time going to my students' games. I wanted them to know that I cared about them as individuals. And not just when they came to church, I cared about them on their own turf, on their own terms. And so then when it was time for me to be able to proclaim the truth, they were able to actually listen. They knew that I cared about them, not just about numbers, not just about increasing the size of the youth ministry or anything like that, but I actually cared about them as individuals. There's an overwhelming movement of people today, of young people today specifically, who don't just want to hear you say things that are true. They want to see you do things that are true. In other words, we can quote scripture all day, but the world won't care until they see how we treat people. We can stand on truth as long as we want, but if we're treating people like garbage, no one's going to be willing to listen. And that's what Paul really is making sure that, that doesn't happen here. He's making sure that his relationship with the Galatians is intact. So as he continues to preach truth, as he continues, as he continues to, to teach them about the gospel, as he continues to teach them about Jesus plus nothing, they are able to hear those words. And he's not simply yelling at them. So how are we treating people as we hand them the truth of the gospel? How are we doing that? And imagine what it would look like if the church got a little bit busier loving people well rather than only telling them the truth. And I know that seems like those two things, like, like they can't coexist. 
But how is it that that is true, that we could maybe set the, the church might be actually able to set the hypocrite trophy down for a bit and show the world what it looks like to love their community? Because we recognize that if we don't love our community, they're never going to listen to anything that we have to say. And not just like, oh, I'm going to love them enough to be able to preach the gospel at them. No, to actually love your community. And can I be honest, it really does start with being able to be in community yourself. That's why we're doing this big push towards small groups. It's not just so it can be like, oh, yeah, we got the numbers. Man, our small group numbers are up. We're doing so great as a church. Things are happening. Like, that's not why we do it. We do small groups because of the fact we believe that life change actually happens in those groups. That oftentimes what happens, same as in the church of Galatia, what happens is a group comes together, we talk about the passage maybe that we talked about this week or parenting or marriage or whatever it is that you're working through as a group. And someone says something that's like, ah, that, and theologically speaking, I don't know if, let's look at what the Bible has to say about that. And we get an opportunity to sharpen one another. We get an opportunity to, to rebuke one another. We get an opportunity to love one another as we're in the midst of that community. So when it, do, when it does come time to present the truth in such a way that, man, this might hurt your feelings a little bit, but I need you to hear this, it's so those people know that we love them enough to share that truth with them. That's why we're in, if you have not signed up for a small group yet, and if you're looking for really your next step of faith, I would encourage you, man, try a small group. Try it for, try it for three months. Right? If you're going to try it, I mean, what, September, October, November, December, and there's like 15 breaks in there, man, take an opportunity. Take 10, 12 weeks and, and jump into a small group to figure out what it looks like to live in community so you can be sharpened by one another in the same way that Paul here with the Galatian church sharpens each and every one of them by being able to tell them the truth, but he doesn't do so until they know that he cares about them. And he indeed cares deeply. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're, uh, we're thankful. And I'm so thankful for the book of Galatians and the truth that continues to come out of it. And the more and more that we hear, it's not just the defense of the gospel. It's how to be able to present the gospel to other people as well. What manner should we do that in? And so God, I pray that, that right now we would take an opportunity to look at our own lives and figure out what it is that, is that is preventing us from being able to share the truth in love with people. That it wouldn't just be about, I'm right and you're wrong. That it wouldn't be about bowing up on either side of a canyon, on either side of a rift and saying, no, I'm going to dig in here and I'm going to dig in here. That we would figure out how to love one another regardless of our differences. So that then we are able to present the truth we are able to present your gospel. And God, if there's people here who, who have not yet said yes to your gospel, not yet said yes to your son, I would just ask they pray along with us the ABCs. You could pray and say, Father, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I know that, that every single day I fall short. Your word tells us that, that all have sinned and fall short of your glory. And so I know and I admit that but I believe, B, I believe that you sent your son to die on the cross.
for me, to atone for my sins, to take those sins, to save me so I can be justified. I believe that you sent him to die on a cross, that he conquered death for that justification and see, I would choose to follow you every single day. And as I choose to follow you, people would know that I'm a Christian because of the way that I love. And that as I love them, I love them enough to be able to tell them the truth as well. We love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.